Good morning. It's Wednesday, February 12th, 2020. I'm JD, and this is the Talk and Watch from Modern Feed. This week, I'm previewing special channels that are a part of the Modern Feed vision. Yesterday, Impossible Planet, stories of climate, nature, science. Today, the Talk and Watch, essential listening that leads to amazing viewing. Let's get started. This will be fun, I promise. First up, Last year when I heard this episode of Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin about the documentary called For Sama, I immediately went out and saw the film. You may know that it was nominated for Best Documentary Feature, and while it didn't win the Academy Award, it certainly won the hearts and minds of everyone who came in contact with the film. Why is that? Well, it's because they are just normal people. It's a story of a couple falling in love in a war zone and having a baby, and the woman wanting to document their lives for the baby, for Sama. It's also the story of people becoming migrants, and it's harrowing. Here's a clip. It's in your playlist below. I've also given you a link to watch the film. I really recommend that you do. For Sama from Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin. But the, um, so you're in Aleppo, and, and the sense you get, of course, is that at any given moment, you could be dead. Yeah. You personally. And your children and your husband. At yeah. any given moment, the bombs are going to drop and you're going to get hit, as, as in other areas. Yeah, and this is one of the things why I kept filming and why I filmed everything, why I was like very obsessed about like filming even if we were asleep. <laughs> because I felt that any moment could be the last minute. And I'm here. I have that chance now to film this. And I will be killed. I will not do a film. And I wasn't really planning of oh, I, what I will do in the, all this material. I was like, yeah, I'm here now. I know that this is so important. I know if I've been killed, like this material will be something someone outside will use it one day. But what I need to do now, that just make sure that this person who will take this, this material will have a lot of like uh, plenty. Uh, choices to choose what story he wants now, now, to do. Prior to if you'd have told me a week ago that I'd be spending six hours watching a Netflix docu-series on cheerleaders, I'd have thought you were calling me uh, crazy. But then I heard last week's episode of KCRW's The Business. You know, I think it's the best show about show business. And their interview with Greg Whiteley, the creator and director of the Netflix show Cheer. And not only did I spend six hours watching it, but I have to admit it was my first and favorite binge of 2020. Now, you may know Greg Whiteley from his uber successful Netflix series called Last Chance You, where he follows second tier college football players in their all out desire to play ball. What an amazing warm up for Cheer, where once again he's following students but this time in the grueling and absurdly dangerous sport of competitive cheerleading. I found myself really rooting for the kids because there's something remarkably exhilarating, charmingly satisfying about the show. Here's a clip from the podcast. It's when Greg Whiteley goes to UCLA to hear one of his heroes, the creator of the podcast, This American Life, Ira Glass, speak. Greg waits around to ask Ira Glass, how do you choose the right subject in your documentaries? And he gets some great advice. Give this a listen and watch the show. And we had a similar conundrum. Every, every college that we've gone to, whether for football and Last Chance You or most recently with Cheer, 
you have a number of people who are volunteering to be your main subject. They want to be filmed. I mean, do you start out saying, which one of you really would like to be spotlighted in this thing? We never do that. Okay. You, because everyone would raise their hand. I, I would with, with the exception yeah. of just one or two. Right. The ones you probably want. Yes, that's right. A lot of times that's true. But what this woman said to Ira and then Ira repeated at Royce Hall, she said, I started just hanging out with these people and in hanging out with them, it's almost like that experience you have when you're at a cocktail party. You are mixing and mingling and there is just one or two people that you seem to keep circling back to. There's some something you have in common. There's some level of interest. And that's how she picked this girl. And it's how I've learned to pick main subjects that we're focusing. That's Cheer. It's in your playlist below. I've also given you a link to the show on Netflix so you can watch it. Let's go from cheerleaders to the godfather. Well, the godfather of sound. No, no, actually, the godfather. Walter Murch, the godfather of sound. I learned about Walter Murch when I heard this episode from the fantastic BBC documentary podcast Outlook in December. I scrolled it away knowing that I'd share it with you someday soon. The BBC calls Outlook the home for extraordinary personal storytelling. Their words, not mine. And Walter Murch's story is proof of that. You ever meet someone that you just know are doing what they were meant to be doing? That's Walter Murch. Even as a kid, he was collecting sounds everywhere he went. Who knew that years later, while filming a scene from The Godfather, a scene where Michael Corleone is about to shoot Solazzo and McCluskey, that Walter Murch's collecting of sounds from the neighborhood would come in so handy. Here's a clip from the BBC podcast Outlook that's in your playlist below. Listen to the whole thing. It's awesome. And I had grown up in New York, not too far from where that restaurant actually is. And I knew that that part of the Bronx had many elevated trains, a kind of rat's nest of trains converging in this area. And so, just like the bells of Riverside Church, the dominant sound of this neighborhood would have been these elevated trains, which made a peculiar kind of screeching sound. So I thought, well, let's use that sound as a pulse throughout the scene to add this underlying tension. And this increases in intensity until finally, in the moments before Michael actually stands up and shoots the gun, you not only hear the rumble of the elevated train, but this very annoying screeching. And this sound reaches an intensity which is immediately cut off as soon as the bullet leaves the gun. There's a moment of silence, and then Michael drops the gun, as he's been told to do, leaves the restaurant, and then these big Nino Rota chords come in, and the movie moves on to the next phase. That was from the BBC's Outlook podcast in your playlist below. I've also added a bonus episode of Outlook, their recent episode on For Sama. It's very short, but great, in your playlist below. And now, ladies and gentlemen, allow me to introduce one of my favorite podcasts. 
It's called Soundtracking with Edith Bowman, in which Edith speaks with filmmakers, producers, directors, music supervisors, composers about the magic of music in film and television. And it's a tribute to how terrific she is that she's spoken with everyone. But it was a special treat on Saturday when the most recent episode showed up in my inbox and I knew I had to share it with you. In this episode, a clip of which we're about to listen to, she speaks with Tim Burton about a career in filmmaking and his longtime partnership with Danny Elfman. You remember him. He and his brother also created Boingo Boingo. But Danny Elfman and Tim Burton created films like Beetlejuice, like Pee-wee's Big Adventure, like Edward Scissorhands, films that I dare you to not want to revisit. Here's a clip. It's in your playlist below. So then I got to make Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and then I hadn't done a movie, and he hadn't really done a movie, so we felt very much in sync, you know, kind of like (laughs) two people that don't know what they're doing, doing something. So it's great. <laughs> Kindred spirits. What did you, what were the, what were the conversations though that you had then in terms of going, well, you know, you were saying you don't know what you're doing. You obviously did know what you were doing, but in terms of coming together to work together on that. I, I, I think we grabbed, because I could see him going through the same stuff I did. You know, he'd be there, you know, and we recording music, it's for me, is great because you, the pressure's off of you a little bit and you're just sitting watching an orchestra play to, your, to, to a movie and it's such a beautiful, and at the beginning that was a beautiful thing because it, you, they would project the film and have the orchestra play. Now you have little monitors, but it was such a beautiful first experience as you see a full orchestra playing to your movie, and that was just beautiful. But he struggled like I did, you know. People thought, well, who's this guy, you know, one of the music guys called Danny. Yeah, Beethoven, whatever you want, you know. (laughs) For me, he was a very kindred spirit. Oh man, over the last few years, I've enjoyed so many episodes of this podcast. She's interviewed people from Guy Ritchie and Steven Soderbergh to Quentin Tarantino recently, Pedro Almodovar on Pain and Glory. You've got to see that and listen to that. Uh, Greta Gerwig talking about Lady Bird and Little Women, Noah Baumbach, Todd Phillips. There's so many. Here's the first one I ever listened to. It was with Damien Chazelle, the director of La La Land and Whiplash along with his composer and and friend, Justin Hurwitz. So this is Justin Hurwitz talking about La La Land. How did that start, that piece? What was the seed of that piece of music? The The seed of that music, well, it started again, like everything with me at the piano, just searching for a melody. thinking about was a melody that could be optimistic but also melancholy at the same time. It first happens in the movie at a moment when Ryan's character Sebastian has just asked Mia out on a date and then they say goodbye and he takes a stroll on a pier and he's happy obviously because she said yes but he's also cautious because he's had so many heartbreaks so the song is this could be something great but it may not be because so many of my dreams have not worked out in the past. Okay, let's end today with an extended interview from Soundtracking with Edith Bowman. Let's listen to 
Sofia Coppola on the music of The Beguiled, Lost in Translation, and The Virgin Suicide. There's so much good stuff in this archive. Almost 200 interviews with our heroes. You can listen to them and watch the films and come back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Well, you, you mentioned your dad earlier there, and, you know, in terms of a master of views and score, but also contemporary music and in such brilliant and powerful ways. Yeah. What a great example to have to learn from that, I guess, or witness yeah, that as and, well. Yeah, and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of musicians in my family, so that's something that I didn't get that talent to make it, but, um, but there's, you know, an appreciation, and yeah, I definitely saw him doing that, and you know, I always enjoyed that aspect of it when you're in the edit. And, playing around with the music. Can I kind of talk about a couple of specific bits through other films yeah. as well? Like in, in Virgin Suicides, when they're having that wonderful moment where they're having a conversation over the phone oh, yeah. with using the vinyl, which is such a brilliant part of the film. That was from the book. I thought it was really sweet that that's how they couldn't say what they wanted to say, yeah. so they expressed their feelings through their playing music. Shit, it's them. Looking forward to what wouldn't do the role I was about to play.